All right, Galatians 2. Hope you're there with me. We're uh, trekking through here, Galatians 2, and we saw last week, uh, we looked at the point that we are to live out who we have been declared to be in Christ. And we saw that in verses 15 through 18. And today we are building on that truth as we look at verses 19 through 21. And really we see how this happens today. That it is actually not even us who are living. It is literally Christ living in us. As a believer, it is not I who live. It is Christ in me. It is Christ living through me. And that is our power and that is our ability to live the Christian life. Literally Christ in us. When we get to Galatians 5, we will see in verses 19 to 21 the, the results of living according to the flesh. And then in verses 22 and following, the fruits of the Spirit. Literally Christ in us. Paul says, Paul says that time and time again. That would be a great study for any of us is to, to uh, look in your Bible at all the times that Paul speaks of Christ in us. He says time and time again, Christ in us, the hope of glory. That in and of itself necessitates the resurrection. Christ is alive. Not only does he sit at the right hand of the Father, but he literally is in us. And our lives are expressions of faith. It is, it is the faith in Christ living out and guiding our lives. But it's faith in Christ. And that's what Paul is getting at here in verses 19 through 21 as Lee just read. And, and if, as I looked at these passages and I thought, well, what's the main point? I want us to walk away with one main idea. We're going to look at, at a couple of truths that line this up and how this fleshes out. But, but one main point today, if we walked away with just one thing, here it is. Christianity is believing Christ to be everything we need for every moment we live. That, that Christianity is believing Christ to be everything we need for every moment we live. If we're honest with ourselves, that, that's a tough place to be. I think you, I find myself, you find yourselves probably, I, I'm, I'm going to assume I'm not alone in this, that, that I'm good as long as Christ plus some other things are in place. Maybe some money in my pocket. Maybe, maybe, maybe if the kids and the relationships are good. If there's something in the bank account in case there's no money in the pocket. But is Christ everything we need for every moment we live? Is He the all-sufficient one as we sang about this morning? Is He truly the unfathomable one, the unsearchable one? Is He all we need or is it Christ plus something else? I would dare say is just even the idea, and we've spent many weeks here on justification, is He all we need to be right with God, or is it Christ plus something else? That's the challenge for us. And Paul builds on this to show exactly what he means, but not only the truth that we've been justified, but how that truth plays out in our lives every day. And, and, and that's the main point. And with it, I have three sub-points here to build on that, and they build on themselves, and you'll see them I think they'll be clear in the text. The first thing I want us to see regarding Christ being our everything is this. Christianity is living to God and not ourselves. First of all, please hear that. Christianity is living to God and not ourselves. Paul makes that very clear. Through the law, I died to the law. Why did you die to the law, Paul? So that I could live to God. 
We'll see in a moment in Romans 7. Why, why did we have to die to the law? Because we were bound to the law. Christ freed us from the law, from his death. He fulfilled the law. Now we are free to join another. I mean, in Romans 7, verses 1, Paul, Paul makes this very clear in verses 1 through 4. Do you not know, brethren, I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? And he uses marriage as an illustration. For the married woman is bound to, by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to another. Paul, Paul says, I, I have been freed from the law to serve God, to live for God. And what we're going to see here is that as hard as we think we try, as hard as we think we can, as much as we think we can, you can't live for God by living according to the law. You can't, you can't live for God by doing things to make yourself righteous. Paul is still confronting Peter here. He is, he is confronting him over not living in line with the gospel and his truth. Paul was going back to the law and its regulations for his life, even though he was saved. And in this particular interest, it was, it was what to eat, what not to eat. Then it became who to eat with and who not to eat with. And Paul is trying to get Peter to understand here the outworking of justification in our lives. And Peter failed to understand the comprehensiveness the sufficiency of justification, of having been declared righteous solely based on Jesus' work. That you've been freed from the law. That it no longer has, that law no longer has jurisdiction over you. There's a, there's a new reigning champion, a new, a new law, if you will, that reigns in your life. It's Christ. He's reigning in your life as a believer. And what Paul is saying to, to Peter, but to each of us, is this. Our lives are not found in obeying the law, but rather in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and in the fruit of Christ living in us. And what Paul is dealing with here, and, and I believe it's, it's still alive today, the same battle is in our hearts. What the Jews, and even you and I today, did not understand is that you cannot live for God by keeping the law. We're fooled into thinking that we can live for God through the law. The, the reality is this, that when somebody lived for the law and for the keeping it, listen, they were actually living for themselves. And the end was death. Living according to the law was for the person. Ultimately, it was not for God. You see it throughout the scriptures. It was flesh-driven. It wasn't spirit-driven. It was flesh-driven. It was, it was man-generated, man-centered. The person got the praise for the living, not God. The person would get the praise. And, and Paul, in Philippians and all throughout, talks about that. The things that he once lived for, he considers them rubbish. Why? Because they ultimately they were for him. Paul, through the keeping of the law, he was motivated for what he could get from God, a reward, rather than simply living out of a love for God. But the new motivation for Paul is grace. As a believer, 
through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the, the motivation was grace. It was all that God had done for him at the cross. You see it in verse 20. We'll get there in a minute, but he says, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Literally, it's Christ living through him. Paul loved, lived for and loved the one who had loved him and who had given himself up for him. That was his motivation for all of life. It was the one who loved him and gave himself up for him. And that was living for God. It was grace-centered. Fueled by gratitude. Not fueled by selfish reward. It was fueled by gratitude. It was fueled by Christ in us. The, the challenge for all of us is that we think we, when we do things according to the flesh, that when we do things in our own power, when we, when we go back to the law to find our justification in the law, we, we think that we're drawing closer to God when it actually is driving us away from God. I mean, to think that we have anything in and of ourselves to offer God. In Isaiah 64, 6, it says, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. Even the best thing that I supposedly have to offer God is stained. My, my life is your life, believer. It's Christ in us. And, and the, things that, the things that sometimes we think are drawing us to God are actually drawing us away from God. Why? Because they're man-centered. And as long as we think that we, and as long as we're trying to get to God on our own, to please Him on our own, to justify ourselves on our own, to make our own way, listen, we are actually moving farther away from God. And in order to have intimacy with God, Paul is saying that you have to die to self as a means of gaining God's acceptance and instead come to God as a repentant, needy beggar for grace and forgiveness of sin. As someone who is solely looking to Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, for their justification. Literally, it's die to self. Die to every other way of getting to God except on His terms, and that's through Jesus Christ. That's 19. And it's dying to self. Why? So that you can live to another. And look, Paul says when a person does this, when a person dies to self is trying to gain their standing or their merit before God, when they die to self is trying to get to God on their own, the result, he says, when you trust, when you instead trust in Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, the result will be abundant and eternal life. Living, trying to get to God through the law, through your own way, death. Coming to God through Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, life. And not only life, you look at the scriptures, it will, it will be love lavished upon you, forgiveness, forgiveness freely granted to you, adoption. All these things come through Christ, not our, self, not our own. I didn't, I didn't perform an act or do good things so that Christ said, you know, I'll adopt him because he's, he's advantageous to me. No, no, no. We were, we, were, we were enemies of God. Sinners. Had nothing to offer. And God in his rich mercy sent his son to die for us while we were yet sinners, Romans 5, 8 says. And listen to me. Love, love will always motivate more than debt. Love will always motivate more than debt. 
The, the reality is, I even as a Christian, sometimes we think, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay, pay my debt off. We can't pay our debt off. The reality is the energy that I would use, what I would use to pay my debt off is given by God, so my debt is continually increasing. And, and it's, it's love. Paul is saying he died to the law as his Savior, as a means of his salvation. He died to the law. He no longer lives to it. Death no longer reigns. A new era literally has been introduced in his life. It is freedom. But, but listen, what he's saying is, that freedom from the law doesn't produce sin. Freedom from the law doesn't create a situation where you're an unbounded person that you do whatever you want. Why? Because you're now living for God. The, the, the reality is he lives for God and that produces joyful obedience. You, you see this in, in Romans chapter 6. Paul deals with that and, and I'll start in verse, verse 8. He says, now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Even so, he's saying in the same way, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And here's the, you, you see three commands here as a result. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you obey its lusts. Don't let sin reign. It's not your master. Third, secondly, do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Thirdly, but instead present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law but grace. What then shall we say? Shall we sin because we are under law but, not, but under grace? Not under law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one to whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that through, though you were slaves to sin, you became obedient, listen, from the heart. You see what love does? It was obedience from the heart. To that form of teaching which you are committed and have been, having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Listen to me. A Christian, Christianity is this. It's trading in slavery to sin for slavery to God. You're always going to be a slave to somebody. The world who thinks they're free. If you walk out in the world, non-believers, even believers maybe, they think they're free. They're not free. They're slave to one thing, sin. They're slave to sin, and the result of that is death. If you don't believe me, stop sinning. Well, I can't, because you're a slave to it. You're a slave to sin. Christianity is, is dying to that slave master and placing yourself under, the, under the, the care and the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ, who now becomes your master. And now what you do out of love and gratitude, you become a slave to righteousness. Where you once pursued sin, now you pursue righteousness. That's Christianity. It's not, well, I'm freed for sin, now I get to, the penalty, now I get to go live however I want to live. You have grossly misunderstood salvation. Grace, for sure. I mean, I, I, as I read Romans 6, I think they understood the, the, the awesomeness of God's grace to think that way, but they had misunderstood it. Grossly misunderstood it. 
Believers are simply trading in masters. Sin, who was an awful slave master and resulted in death, for God who offers eternal life. But you're still a slave. You see that all throughout the scriptures. Paul calls himself a, a bond servant, a slave. We're slaves. We have been, 1 Corinthians six nineteen. or do you not know that you have been bought with a price? Therefore glorify God in your bodies. I'm owned. But I'm owned by, by, a, by a heavenly father that loves me, that cares for me, that's lavished his love upon me, that's promised me a hope and a future, an inheritance who treats me as a child, a loved child. The power of sin has been broken by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We now, as Christians, can live for the one who redeemed us and set us free. He set us free. I I think about Romans 8, where is it? Romans 8, verse 7. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. Do you understand why Christ had to die? Do you understand how that death alone frees me from the power of sin? Christianity is not only being freed from the, power, from the penalty of sin, I'm freed from the power of sin. I don't have to obey that anymore. Why? Because Christ lives in me. He's my master. And how I once lived for self and lived for God and the energy and effort that I put towards glorifying self, now, I, now by Christ in me, I glorify the Father in the same way. And it's all grace. Grace enables us to die to sin and to live for God. And Christianity is now living for God. It is dying to self and living for God. Why? Because He's our everything, as we said in the main point. He's our everything we need. But secondly, Christianity is living to God and not ourselves, not out of flesh, but by the power of Christ living in us. This isn't a, a necessarily a pull up your bootstraps and grit your teeth. And I remember my grandfather, my dad's dad, used to say, you know, he had this saying, he'd say, when times got tough and you were moping around, he'd say, buck up, little camper. You know, it's not, Christianity is not just pull up my bootstraps and grin and bear. And like, no, it's Christ living in me. That's verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life for which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Where the law once guided, now look what guides the Christian. Faith in the one who loved me and gave himself up for me. Faith guides. Literally, Christ lives in me. And that is the great tension in the Christian life. It is, it is living through dying. It is gaining life through literally dying. And that is, that is so contrary. It is living through dying. It's death to self. It's life to God through faith. Believers live by faith. And that faith enables us and it fuels our salvation. It fuels us to live it out, rather. New self versus old self. That's the battle. Paul deals with that all the time. That's why at the end of Romans 7, he will say, Who will deliver me from this wretched body of death? But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph. Christ will deliver us from this body of death. He gives us power to not obey sin, to not gratify the flesh. And it's this faith that that trusts Christ to live for us and through us and in us. That's Galatians 
Paul is saying, what he's saying is, I am dead to the law as a means of justification. I am dead to the law as a means of being right before God. I'm dead to that. Nothing to offer me. And now it has been replaced by Christ. And instead of promoting sin, Christ promotes and brings about purity and holiness and love. Why? By Him living in us. And I, thought, I think about this just off the cuff. This is where I really am making effort for sermons to become short, but then I get up here and things come into my mind, so forgive me. But we, we have a friend, her name is Kathy, and some of you know her. And yesterday, she started five days of chemotherapy and radiation where they are literally destroying her body. So that in five days, in five days, and uh, I look at the Hales, they know exactly what this is. They've seen it in their grandson. In five days, her sister, who by the grace of God was a perfect bone marrow match for her, is going to have bone marrow drawn out of her body and the, the bone marrow that has been completely killed in Kathy's body is going to be replaced with her sister's bone marrow. Listen to me. Literally, here's the crazy thing. If Kathy, Stew if Kathy Snyder went from after this thing takes place, if she went and committed a crime and they tested her blood, you know whose blood they think committed the crime? Her sister's. It's literally her sister's blood and bone marrow is living and producing life in Kathy. Do you, that, that is a picture of Christianity. Kathy, Kathy's not living. Her sister is living in her. She would, be, she, would be, she would be dead. If this thing doesn't work, she has big problems. Things about her life could change. Why? Because literally her sister... Her sister's blood is flowing through her body. Her bone marrow is in her, living through her. That's Christianity. Listen, Paul is saying, instead of promoting sin, Christ living through you promotes purity and holiness. That's the power of the cross. Promotes obedience to the, to the law of Christ. We're not unbounded. Love your neighbor, love yourself. There's still a law, but Christ does it through us. He does it through us. Sure, I read the Word, I study the Word, I pray, I go to church, I do all that. Why? Because it, 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 it's my way of allowing Christ, Ephesians 5.18, to control me, to fill me up and literally live through me. Because you don't want, listen, you ask Karen, she don't want half of what she gets already with Christ living in me. You definitely don't want Chris without Christ. And our faith is, it's, listen, it's not just in a crucified Christ, it's in a resurrected Christ that lives in us as believers. And we live by faith, by believing Christ every moment, for every day, for everything. Forever our life is attached to Christ. You think about Kathy and her sister. You think they were close before. What do you think their relationship is going to be like moving forward? Forever irrevocably attached. We are attached forever to Christ. And Paul is saying, literally live that out. Let Christ live that out in you by faith, by believing it. Christ in us. And you see it on your handout. Our new life in Christ is not characterized by us working for God by obeying the law, but by believing in the Son who gave Himself up for us. 
It's by believing. It's by faith. Listen to me. That faith is sustained only when we are confident of His love for us. That, that's the power of God's love for us in Christ. Being confident that God loves me. Why? Because He loves His Son. Think about it right now. How, how do you think right now, how do you think God sees you? Innate in all of us, we struggle with that question. Why? Because we gravitate back to law. We gravitate back to doing. We, we have a hard time seeing ourselves completely through the blood of Christ. When God sees you, believer, you have been covered with the blood of Christ. Is God satisfied with Christ? Absolutely He is. Then guess who else He's satisfied with? Everybody else who's covered that blood to Christ. He loves you. Certainly sin destroys that fellowship. Don't hear me saying that. and that We can get to that later. You can look at 1 John. But He is satisfied in you as a child. Where, where is God's pleasure in you found? In your effort or in Christ's effort? In your performance or in Christ's performance? And this is the key why we spend so much. Are you loved by God? Secondly, why are you loved by God? Again, is it based on your effort or is it based on what Jesus Christ has done? Is it based on your work or is it based on Jesus Christ's substitutionary work? And that, that's justification, grasping that, that. That our life as believers is no longer about us. We died with Christ. That's why in John in 3.30 says, He must increase being Christ, I must decrease. That's, that's the ch- challenge for all of us. Because I, I love to be a glory robber, a glory thief. I love to take back the glory. I love to get the glory. And that love, listen to me, that love, my life is lived by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself up for me. And that love constrains and motivates my life to be lived for the one who did that. And no law ever did that, but love does that. And listen to me, only, this is important, only when we see ourselves completely loved and justified, that's forgiven, Through Christ will we have the power to repent with joy, to live boldly, and to obey joyfully to the one who did that for me. How do we see ourselves? Are you completely forgiven? Do you stand justified? Do you stand completely forgiven? Are are you there based on what you've done or based on what Christ has done? Those are two diametrically opposed options. How do you see yourself? How do you understand yourself to, to be in God's presence? I, I heard a story that will kind of illustrate it. It was about a wealthy man who, who bought a Rolls Royce. And Rolls Royce at the time had been marketed as a uh, really a perfect vehicle. It was a truly a problem-free vehicle. That's the way it was advertised. That, that, and unfortunately, this man, he bought it, and this, this car left him stranded on the side of the road. It broke down. So he called Rolls-Royce and wrote, said, look, I just need somebody to fix it. I'm not mad. It happens. I just need somebody to fix it. Rolls-Royce flew, flew a guy in, fixed the car. Promptly, the man said, look, 
appreciate it. Send me a bill, and, and I'll make this right. I have means to take care of this. I mean, I, I bought the Rolls Royce. I'm assuming that, I, you know, he can fix it. He was satisfied. He left expecting a bill. And many, many weeks and months passed. No bill. No bill. No bill. So unlike many of us, he called Rolls Royce searching out the bill. I'm like, Karen, just let it go. Let that sleeping dog lie. You know, he called Rolls Royce. He explained the situation, explained his gratitude, explained, look, you sent a guy out, you flew a guy out to fix my car. The car's running awesome. Everything is fine. I'm satisfied. I need the bill. To which Rolls Royce said this, sir, we have no record of anything ever having gone wrong with your car. They had no record. Problem-free car. Listen, you know why there was no bill? Because there's no record. You know why there was no bill? Because there's no debt. My debt was paid by Christ. My sin debt was satisfied. And many of us in here need to, as Christians, need to stop living like one day we're going to get a bill. The, the debt was paid. I, I hope in that we see the cross, that you comprehend the cross, how, how God sees you. That, that, that our relationship is based upon what God did through His Son, Jesus Christ, not on what I can do. And that all of that is wrapped up in our being justified freely through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And how do we, how is that applied to our lives? By believing, by faith. And then the gratitude, the love that God has shared, showed upon us, motivates us and fuels us. Listen, Christianity is living for God through the power of the cross of Christ in us. But there's one more element. Salvation, thirdly, salvation is found in Christ alone. Otherwise, Jesus died needlessly. Let that sink in. Do you understand what we're saying when we, when we think we can add something to salvation? You understand? You understand that? Then Christ died needlessly. If there was another way for man to be saved, if there were some believe that there are millions of ways, that, that all rivers, my neighbor will tell you, all rivers lead to the same ocean, then why did Christ have to die? If there were many ways, why would, why would God crucify His Son? Listen to me, that's not love to crucify your Son as one of the many ways to heaven. That's foolish. That's not a good father. If we could save ourselves, if we could even help with our salvation, Christ died needlessly. So not a good man, but a fool. And God would not be a good father to sacrifice His Son if He didn't have to. I mean, think about it this way. Suppose your home was on fire and, and all your family had gotten out safely. And, and I said to you, hey, let me show you how much I love you. And I ran into the house, even though everything else was saved. And I ran into the house and I died. You would not say, man, that was loving. You would say, that was dumb. What, what are you thinking? But suppose I approached you and I did the same while one of your children was still in the home. 
And suppose I ran into that fiery furnace and I came out with your child, but I died. That would be an expression of love. See, if there's there's many ways, Christ died needlessly. But if there's one way, that's an expression of love. That's grace. You, You would not doubt for one moment if I did that on your behalf that Chris Basham loved me. He was willing to give up his life. No greater love, the Bible says, has a man than this, than what? Lay down his life for his friends. There's no other Savior out there that's laying his life down. These other false gods and false religions that people are worshiping are demanding something of their people. You know what this God did? The one true God, he gave. And then he lives through us. And only when we grasp that, listen, we cannot save ourselves by any means. We have... We have nothing to offer in and of ourselves. Only then will Christ's death truly mean everything to us. Because all our eggs are in that one basket. It will properly fuel and motivate. Literally, Christ will then live in us. Why? Because we understand that that was the only way. That God made a way where there was no way. And only then will we die to self and live to God. Why? Because God did something for us that we could have never done on our own. And, and listen, even then, only then will we share the gospel eagerly with joy to others. That, that's kind of the final piece. Do you really believe that Jesus Christ is the only way? If you do, I promise you, you'll share that truth with others. In the back of your mind, if you feel like all roads lead to the same ocean, I'm going to promise you, you're going to stay quiet. If there's any hint that, look, we're all going to heaven no matter what we're doing, Christ died needlessly. Fundamental, listen, fundamental to all of this is what is our standing before God based upon? What is our standing before God based upon? Works or faith? Works or faith? How how are we connected with God? Works or faith? Self-effort or Christ's effort? My obedience or God living through me? See, even then, God gets the credit because my obedience is, guess what? Fueled by Christ living through me. Whether I eat, drink, or whatever I do, do the glory of God. Why? Because it's literally Christ through me. The, The gospel teaches us that nothing we do makes us righteous before God. It is entirely based upon the grace of God. God sees nothing in us that impresses us, Him that makes us savable. It's, I've heard people, oh, you, you know, God needs to save him. He can be really useful. You think God needs Chris? It, it's the beauty of his plan and his grace and mercy that he's allowing me to be a part, to be a part of the joy of sharing the gospel and seeing people come to a saving knowledge. I, I didn't do that. God did that through my obedience. I get to take part of the joy. And what I want us to understand here as a church, that everything about our lives is fueled by grace and by Christ in us. And listen, listen, believers never, here's the bottom line, believers never progress beyond the gospel. The gospel is not just for the unsaved. The gospel is the fuel and the power for as a saved individual, how we live every single moment of every day we live because of the gospel. That is what Paul is showing here, that the gospel impacts as a believer every area of your life. We are saved by the gospel, and we live by the gospel. We're saved by it, and we live by it. 
And our righteousness is found in the work of another, namely Jesus Christ alone. And if you ever, if we ever find ourselves becoming bored with the gospel, we have become, I promise you, we have become self-deceived about our goodness and our sinfulness. We, we've become deluded with ourselves if we ever become bored with the gospel. We have overestimated our goodness and we've underestimated our sinfulness. The gospel. So I want to ask us as we close here a couple of questions. They're on your handouts. I want, I want to challenge you to ask yourselves these questions almost in a self-inventory. And, and the first question, you know, based upon this truth, are you letting the gospel, am I letting the gospel of God's grace through Christ have its full implications on my life? Am I letting the gospel flood my life and have implications on every area of my life? Or are there areas that, I'm, that I've not grasped, it, that I'm holding back? And the first one, obviously, is, is salvific. Am I trusting in the grace of God alone to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ to save me? Are you trusting Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Paul, Paul asked that very same question in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5 and 6. He's writing to believers. You know what he says? Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail the test. Paul was wise enough to know, hey, there may be people within the reading of this letter that are not truly saved. I'm wise enough to know there may be people that are sitting in this church today who are not saved. Who are trusting in the wrong things for their salvation. Is Christ in you? That's where it all starts. There is no forgiveness apart from believing upon Jesus Christ for your sin. Your sin separates you from a holy God. The only way you can stand justified is having the blood of Jesus Christ applied to your life. Not Christ plus anything, not good works, Jesus Christ alone. Have you been washed of your sin by the blood of Christ? There is no other way but through Jesus. It's not trusting your morality, not trusting your goodness, your good works going to church, giving, none of that saves. Secondly, this. So let's, let's assume we're going to talk to believers here for a moment. Are there any ways that you're trying to mix law and grace? Are you trusting, are trusting the law means that I must do something to please God, while trusting grace means that God is totally satisfied in Christ's work at the cross. He is totally satisfied with Christ. I'm in Christ, therefore He's satisfied with me. Salvation is not Christ plus anything. It is trusting Christ alone. Bible study, church, giving, painting baseboards, helping out with that building next door, great expressions of our faith, they do not save us. They are simply expressions of faith. The question becomes this, why do you do what you do? Is it an expression of faith? Is it an expression of gratitude? Is it an expression of Christ in you and the love He's poured out for you? Are you trying to merit salvation? Thirdly, am I rejoicing in the fact that I am justified by faith in Christ? Does, does the peace that Romans says, therefore we have peace with God, Romans 8.1, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, does that, does that flood your life? Does, do those things rule your life, or, or are you worried that you got to do more? Do, do, do. 
Does the fact that Christ's righteousness has been credited to your account, that you stand in his, you stand in that? Have you truly allowed that to permeate every area of your life? You can ask yourself the question, who seems to get the credit for my life? Who seems to get the credit? Do I like to take the credit? Or, do, or am I quick to pass it on to God? Those may be indicators of you're not allowing justification to really flood your life. The truth of it. Fourthly, am I walking in the liberty of grace? Listen, is the Christian life a joy or a burden to you? Is obedience a joy or is obedience a burden? Is being here today a joy or is it a burden? Asked another way, how do you view God's commands? Are they restricting? Or are they ushering you into full joy? Are they just crushing in on you or do you receive them from a heavenly father who loves you and knows what's best for you and therefore is trying to usher you in to fullness of joy and to void the hurts and the heartache that's out there that satan wants to steal to kill and destroy asked another way are others attracted to god through your life do others want what you have fifthly am i willing to defend the truth of the gospel Listen, who do I live to please? That's the question. God or man? Paul deals with that even in Galatians 1.10. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Every single one of us, including me, is going to fight this battle every day. Who, who are you living to please? God or man? For some reason, I was asked to, to speak at something this Wednesday, and, and that's to, a, to a, some seminary um, students, and th that is what I'm going to teach on. The rest, the rest of their lives as a pastor, you know what the, one of the greatest battles they're going to face is? Or will you stick to the Word of God and the Word of God alone without, without apologizing, or will you cater to man? That's a battle. Will you stand on the word of God no matter what, even if it means people leaving? Or will you cater to man? We are obligated to, in love to share the truth, to defend. The question is, do you? Can you? Do others know what you believe? Do you know what you believe? And lastly this, and this is what Paul was dealing with Peter. Am I walking uprightly according to the truth of the gospel? The best way to defend truth is to live according to the truth that you claim to believe. That's where it starts. And our verbal defense will matter very little if our lives do not back up what we're proclaiming to be true. If our lives are hypocritical and not backing that up, our verbal defense is going to matter little. Are you living out what God has declared over you by grace through Christ? Are you pursuing that righteousness that God has declared over your life? Pursuing that righteousness. Again, not to earn your salvation, but to live out who God has declared over you. Are you doing, are, is, is that you? Where, where on here might you be struggling? Go to God. Go back to the gospel. Go back to the gospel and understand who you are in Christ. 
Go back and lean your entire weight upon the gospel. Run to Christ and Christ alone forever. Stay at the foot of the cross. Live in the shadow of the cross. And may, and may the great love and mercy that, 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 that God has lavished upon us through Christ be the grounds for every single aspect of our life. Every single aspect, the grace and mercy of the cross. 